was Grandpa a Nazi? Was he part of that? And her mother says, well, um, no, I don't think so. He, he always said Hitler was too loud. And that answer was incredibly unsettling because what you want to hear when you ask that question is absolutely not. You know, Grandpa was one of the people that was helping Jews escape and, and resisting Hitler's regime. And so Nora, this is from episode one, goes on this family history quest to find out what her family was doing during the war. And, and she makes this incredible book. It's, a, it's an illustrated, she's an artist. And so it's, it's a graphic novel type memoir where she takes you to the archive with her and opens up her grandpa's folder to, to, to look through the questionnaire that he had to submit after the war was over to confess whether or not he was involved in the Nazi party. And this, I would much rather talk to Nora Krug then bring on a Holocaust denier for however however fun and sort of interesting that might be to hear someone spin their theories. I'm not going to shine the spotlight on that. I'm going to spend that time with someone like Nora, whose story I can really take to heart and say, wow, what's in my past that I should be reckoning with in, in a similar way? It's time for another great episode of The Cultural Hall. And I just have to tell you, I love so much when I have other podcasters into the show because not only do they know how to talk not only does their audio sound really good but they're really interesting and we can go all over the place which we do uh, visiting with Blair Hodges talk about uh, working for the church and what that's like also uh, we get to get into some really really like inside baseball how you can treat the podcaster you love a little bit better Uh, stay tuned and listen to this episode of the cultural hall Computer, are you recording? Yep. All right, you get to clap, Blair. Okay, I'm going to count down from three, two, one, clap. Here we go. Three, two, one, clap. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I'm joined by Blair Hodges. Now, here is the deal. We recently mentioned uh, Blair on an episode when I sat down with Sean Tucker. It's the same Blair Hodges that Sean references. He helps everybody out, and that's what hopefully he will do here today. He has already upped the professionalism of the cultural hall. He clap-started us in, which I've only done a handful of times. Blair, thanks for being here. Hey, it's great to be here at the hall, Richie. Thanks for uh, having me on. Now, uh, let's let's pull down the fourth wall. Let's uh, Let's let everybody know... Um, Blair, you, you may have been one of the ones that has waited the longest maybe to be in the cultural hall. And I just want you to know that I've, that I did that out of love. (laughs) Oh no. Out of one of the out of love situations. Yeah. It's an out of love situation. So I don't know if you want to kind of tell the story. I think that it's cool. The stuff that you're doing over at, uh, fireside with your, your podcast is awesome, but I, uh, I, I just hope that you don't think after all this that I'm just a big jerk because sometimes I feel like I'm a big jerk and I just hope that that wasn't your or that that, that isn't your takeaway. Maybe you thought it at one point, but that you don't think it anymore. No. Um, so I reached out when I started Fireside because when you start a podcast, nothing helps more than connecting with other audiences and uh uh, you know, it, it, it hadn't been released. Any of the episodes hadn't been released yet. And so you said nothing at that point. So I just kept bugging you and sent you messages, you know, claiming to now be the CEO of Cultural Hall and uh, <laughs> that I would be making the decisions for you. That that didn't uh, 
that didn't move the needle. But eventually, you let me know that you, you like to wait a little bit. You like to wait till the show gets a little bit established because podcasting can be a hard thing. And a lot of people get started on a show and kind of burn out after a while. And so you just wanted to make sure that Fireside was off the ground and running before uh, having me on. And I think that also could you know, give us a little bit more to talk about and stuff. By then, I'd recorded most of the episodes. I hadn't mixed and edited and done all the extra stuff. But um, And before that, I was at BYU. I'd produced over 100 episodes of the Maxwell Institute podcast there. So Fireside was my first foray into uh, completely independent podcasting. And uh, here we are. Uh, how long later? It's been... I guess I started releasing episodes in August of last year, and uh, yeah. So it is. So for people listening, I was kind of a jerk, where <laughs> you were like, "Hey, help me out," and I was like, Meh, "Not yet, pal." And yeah, and we'll I, see. And and I don't know why I uh, I do that because I've had people that have published like an episode there, but some it, it sometimes it kind of reminds me, and I don't know how. Uh, have you been married a long time? Yeah, I've been married for 15 years. Okay, so do you remember? Let's see if you can if you can get the brain to go back to when you were single and you'd meet that person who was like really attractive, but also they really wanted to go out with you on a date, and you're like, this person seems really attractive. It seems yeah. like everything that I should go for, but they like it. It almost it's maybe more of a reflection of me, where I'm like, I'm not sure that I'm what this person wants, or there's might be something that I'm missing about me that this person wants that from me. So it might have been a little oh, bit of yeah. self-loathing and self-doubt, which is why I pushed you off. I wanted to make sure that you really wanted me. Oh, great. Well, that feels great. But <laughs> let me just say, I, I married that person, and <laughs> 15 years later have realized over the years what an absolute disaster that could have been yeah. and feel fortunate that, uh, that it wasn't. And I have a greater appreciation for why relationships don't work out and uh, why jumping in quickly can can be a problem. So yeah, that, that metaphor works really well, even though I happen to be one of the uh, lucky ones that, uh, that jumped in quick, relatively quickly. It was kind of slow for Mormon quick. Uh, sure. But, like, uh, what are we talking? Uh, we married within the same year that we met. Okay. So that's, I think that yeah, that's, that's fine. You know, that's fine. Yeah. It's not the same month that happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we did not do that. So uh, I, you sort of queued up a few things about your past, and, and I would love to know a little bit about that. You worked at the Maxwell Institute. People yes. probably know that by name, and I think that if you said, tell me, what is the Maxwell Institute, they'd go, a church thing, uh, <laughs> you know, some podcasts and books, maybe? Is it yeah. a building? Is it the Maxwell? Can I go to the Maxwell Institute? Well, you can now. They have the uh, building uh, dedicated wing on Brigham Young University campus. But the Maxwell Institute started like back in 2007-ish. There was a collection of of research units at BYU that were studying ancient texts and studying uh, Latter-day Saint history. Can we say Mormon on this show? I we can say Mormon, of course. It's the study the M of... word is approved the, or not. It's yeah. the study of the past. Of course we can. <laughs> yes, of course. So anyway, there, there was... Uh, people might remember Farms, which mm -hmm. Hugh Nibley was involved with. It was a group that kind of studied our scripture and all of this stuff. Well, BYU brought Farms into the university and then took this collection of all these different little research ideas and put them all together and named an institute 
after uh, the late apostle Neil A. Maxwell. And so it's basically a collection of scholars who do research on different religions and also on Mormonism and yeah, now publish books and uh, they have a podcast and they're uh, kind of a more intellectual approach to the faith, uh, definitely still faith promoting, um, but trying to kind of reach, uh, tickle that itch of wanting to, to think about the faith more than feel about the faith and, and really try to do both of those things, I think. And I, I always thought it was sort of funny that they called it the Maxwell Institute because it is that scholarly approach to stuff. And much like the, a lot of the talks of Neil A. Maxwell, I sort right. of read the words and go, yeah, I'll come back to this when I have greater yeah. understanding. <laughs> like, I'm sure that there is something on a third, a fourth, a fifth level here, but oh, I'm, yes. I'm getting I'm getting like telestial level of this thing right now. Yeah, that's right. But I, I do think some of the books they've been putting out, especially uh, in the Living Faith series and this this Book of Mormon series that they do are really accessible. The, the goal has continued to be more and more to reach average Latter-day Saints that, that don't, they're not just the nerd on the back row that always brings a book and reads during the lesson. Um, I'm talking about myself, but, uh, <laughs> but also people who just kind of like to hear about scripture in a new way. So I actually think the accessibility has gotten better and better over the years. Well, and um, I think, and I think that it has to be, and, and you don't work for the Maxwell Institute anymore, correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, I left, uh, in 2021, beginning of 21. And, and was that like a thing where they said, listen, your services have been appreciated Oh, no, that was the thing where I said my services perhaps could have been more appreciated. No, just kidding. <laughs> you could have <laughs> no, that was appreciated worked, me more. Yeah, I, yeah, I worked for the, for BYU for eight years, and it's difficult, I think. it's diff It was difficult for me working for the church institution for that long. There's a lot of things that I loved about it, and there's a lot of things that I didn't love about it. And it was time after that eight years, especially with some of the culture wars heating up repeatedly, that it was just time for me to find something new to do. That's... That's why I decided it was time to go. Before we get too far away from it, you mentioned the uh, the Book of Mormon series that uh, they're mm -hmm. doing. And I know it's certainly that you don't work with them anymore, but maybe tell people a little bit more about yeah. those couple series that you mentioned, because that might be the first of them hearing about it, or they might yeah. be more interested in it. Yeah, they're great. So when I started at the Maxwell Institute, one of the things we wanted to do, again, was reach more Latter-day Saints than had been reached before with some of the farm stuff. And so we decided, hey, let's get scholars to write books about their faith for a general audience. What is it like to be a, a biologist who's Mormon? What kind of things come to mind for a biologist? What's it like to be a philosopher who's Mormon? What's it like to be uh, someone with a, a fine arts degree, uh, a poet, and to be Mormon? And so we found those members of the church and invited them to write a book for average Latter-day Saints. And so we, we have a book on, on evolution and biology uh, by Stephen Peck that's really, really fun. We have a, a really great collection of poetry and, and essays by Ashley May Hoyland. And, and we have a book by Patrick Mason, who's a historian who wrote a book called Planted that's kind of trying to dig into the difficult aspects of church history and so on and so on. So that's the Living Faith series. And then uh, we also have Gal, it's, it's really hard to get out of the habit of we. Uh, the <laughs> Maxwell Institute also has a brief theological introduction series, which did the same thing. They said, let's go find some of the brightest scholars that we can and invite them to read a book in the Book of Mormon and write a little brief intro to it. So we have a book, uh, there's a book on first Nephi, there's a book on second Nephi and so on. And each of them just digs into that book of scripture and finds things that 
nobody's really ever thought about before. And, it, and it's really accessible stuff. They're all available in audiobook, uh, and and the print editions were just beautifully designed. The institute paid a lot of attention to just trying to make them beautiful and accessible and 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 new. I think we're. Uh, the idea was, what can we what can we do with scripture that feels fresh? Mm. And that's what those books are about. You know, I think our first introduction to each other was with that book by Stephen Peck. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to say that you reached that's out right. and said, hey, what a great interview that would be. Uh, I'll find the number for that, and I'll leave that in the link in the show notes so people can go. Boy, that's a good six, seven, eight years ago into the, yeah. uh, the caverns that is the— uh, the catalog of the cultural. Yeah, politics. congrats, by the way, on uh, hitting 500 a little oh, while ago. That's, yeah, well, you know, you just keep doing it and it's bound to happen. <laughs> it's just habit at yeah, this point. Yeah, I don't know that they were all good necessarily, but they are all done and they all are published. Uh, but but I do remember that one in particular and, and, and Stephen, I remember several times as we were talking, saying something to the effect of mind blown or I have never considered... <laughs> that that way. So that's worth yeah. the check out. Uh, and, yeah. and because we've sort of gone down that, I would tell you it's the easiest to do if you're a Patreon subscriber, go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Otherwise, you have to do like Google searches to find it or like click it in the show notes and then drag it into your listener and all that stuff. And that's just a pain. Uh, where where are you from originally? Blair? I grew up in Utah. I grew okay. up here and uh, I, I was in Hooper, uh, for a couple of years and then moved to Layton and uh, mostly grew up in Layton. Yeah. So for those who may be not familiar, that's north of Salt Lake. And then did you serve a mission? I did. I got called to the uh, wilds of Wisconsin here at stateside and uh, served in a lot of different areas there. Started out in Milwaukee in the inner city, uh, served in Green Bay, served in Madison, and then smaller towns that I had never heard of and that probably nobody outside of Wisconsin's ever heard of. So I got a really good mix of urban and rural experiences out there. And I also halfway through was asked to do sign language. Oh, I wasn't cool. called on a sign mission. Yeah, but uh, but they, they had a couple wards and there's a university out there uh, for deaf people. And so I was able to learn sign language and have lost most of that by now, but uh, became pretty fluent over the course of eight months or so. Uh, they, <laughs> The joke was like, it wasn't the gift of tongues, it was the gift of thumbs. <laughs> now, uh, when you got the call to Wisconsin, were you like, womp, bomp, and you look at your friends and they're like, Austria, yeah. that's great. Yeah, I mean, I you know suppressed that obviously at the time, and uh, but sure, I mean, it was it was disappointing, and um, but it gave me the opportunity to dig into uh, to other religions actually while I was out there because I didn't have to learn another language up front. Um, my attention was drawn pretty quick to trying to learn the scriptures really well, and then trying to understand the faiths of people that we were interacting with really well. So this is actually where my interest in other religions was really fostered to begin with. And I tried to go to as many different religion meetings that I could. Um, although, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah's Witness, Pentecostal, uh, went to a mosque, uh, visited synagogues, and I read the Quran while I was out there. Um, there was a lot of different opportunities to learn about other faiths. And at first, so that I could Bible bash and, and argue with people, but it quickly became just generally interesting to me. And so, as it turns out, I think going to Wisconsin had a big impact, an unexpected impact on me. And I'm, I'm really glad that that's where I, that that's where I was called. 
I love the uh, in my mind's eye. I see the the uh, interview with the mission president where he's like, you know, Elder Hodges, we have an approved reading list. There's Jesus oh, the Christ that. by Talmadge, and you know, here's the deal. I'm not seeing the Quran uh, anywhere on here, so maybe That's we. Right. <laughs> well, it was awesome. My mission president, shout out to him, uh, Doug Clifford. He had been, I believe, an engineering professor at BYU. He was a very a uh, very smart man, a professor type. And he had, you know, we had had a couple conversations and interviews where I think he recognized that I was a, a bookworm. And, you know, I, I went to him and I just said, President, I've been through the missionary library, you know, four or five times by now. I've read every book in there, including Jesus the Christ, probably five times. I've been through, I read straight through the entire Bible and I've read the Book of Mormon multiple times. And I said, I really would like to try something more than that. I, 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 f I feel hungry. And he said, okay, um, you can, you know, go ahead and read. Oh, we were also volunteering at a Goodwill. And I came across a bunch of C.S. Lewis books when we were in there and I, and I bought them thinking that, okay, I'll just take these home and check them out later. But I told him that I'd purchase those books. He said, yeah, go ahead and read those. And he said, you can read anything that you can find in the desert book catalog that will just kind of that, you know, don't, none, I mean, that's still kind of a pretty big garden sure, wall, but sure. it was more than just the missionary library. And that's also, again, I bought a book uh, edited by Dean Jesse, The Personal Writings of Joseph Smith, that is the first really hardcore history, documentary history book that I'd ever read. And I open it up and I, I'm expecting to see all these writings from Joseph Smith just sort of laid out all nice. And I open it up and yeah, his letters are in there, but there are words that are crossed out and there are all these weird symbols and stuff. Uh, and some of the words are bolded and there's all these footnotes saying like, you know, okay, here's how this apparatus works. These words were crossed out and these words were added later. And this is in Joseph Smith's hand and these words are in Oliver Cowdery's hand. And I'd never seen a book like this in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kudos to Deseret Book for publishing such a, such a wonderful book. And, and I was really introduced to a Joseph Smith that I'd never seen before, one that had, you know, kind of poor grammar and one that was uh, reasoning about things that, that didn't become church doctrine later on and all of this. And so it, even though it was just Deseret Book, which is pretty constrained, it still introduced me to a lot of new ideas. So thanks to President Clifford for giving me that extra approval. And then the Quran was a, a bargain that I made with a Muslim person that we were teaching who said, yeah, I'll read the Book of Mormon if you read the Quran. And I was like, okay. And I did. And, you know, I, I didn't get it. I didn't get very much out of it. I was reading it to sort of, oh, what are the, what does it say that's like Mormon doctrine that's interesting that mm -hmm. I can kind of latch on to. And so I didn't quite get it. And reading an English translation of the Quran is actually not really reading the Quran. You're you know, any any good Muslim will tell you, um, no, you've you've not read the Quran. You you've read someone trying to uh, re you know restate the Quran in English, which you know I I, I appreciate that. So, but I enjoyed it, and uh, here I am today. I've now converted to Islam. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to ask you: um, Were you always sort of religious n nerdy? I think so. Really, I was like, yeah, my like my. Uh, I what did I was I also don't feel like I was very much a goody goody. I mean, I've always had ADHD, so I've always had difficulties focusing and kind of, you know, causing problems. But my father was a pretty stern man, uh, and and so I I feel like I had to keep it somewhat under control. But yeah, I was the kid that was like answering questions in Sunday school, and like my older brother would would call me Junior General Authority and like stuff like that. <laughs> but um, I think that I think my social group. 
uh, in ninth grade seminary really locked me into a Mormon identity. And it just hap so happened that we were, it was a New Testament year, which I think was perfect because it's very basic gospel stuff. I, I, I enjoy the New Testament probably most of all, even to this day. And so I think, uh, and then, and then my father got sick uh, when I was fifteen, when I was fourteen to fifteen with cancer. So, oh. kind of went through a crucible, uh, seeing my father go through a terminal illness. So, I think all of these things combined, my social group, uh, the the death of my father, um, right before I was thinking about mission stuff, and all of those things sort of uh, combined to to really give have me have a strong like religion identity. I want to take a break. When we come back, I want to get right into the fireside. I want to know all about it, why you decided to start it, what makes it different. There's lots of uh, podcasts in the space, so we'll get into that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Oh, hey, is this seat taken? My name is Kurt Frankham from the Leading Saints podcast, and it's about time I make it to the back row of the Cultural Hall and tell you what's happening. Your friends over at Leading Saints are organizing another virtual conference, and this time we're talking about how do we lead the rising generation. We're calling it the Young Saints Virtual Conference. That's right. How do we lead 12-year-olds and beyond in the church and even the young adults? They live in a different world than many of us when we were young, and they face unique challenges. So we've gathered 20-plus presenters who have unique experience working with youth and finding success. To get all the details and to see who is speaking and what topics will be covered, visit leadingsaints.org slash youth. You can find the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org slash youth. I want to take a brief moment and tell you about Best DJ in Utah. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Who is that me? It's also three other guys that I have hired to work for me. Why? Because business has been so great. Uh, we've been able to help a lot of couples as they've been celebrating their weddings, been able to do a lot of uh, holiday parties, uh, birthday parties, being able to just to do community events as well. We do travel, so I know you're thinking, well, listen, I live in Nevada. I live in Idaho. I've even gone so far as Louisiana. I've been down to Texas. I've been up to Washington. Uh, all of the places certainly is possible to be able to play music in. Obviously, you just need to get there. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Let's start the conversation about it. You're getting married. You're thinking about getting married. You'd like to get married. Whatever the thing may be, bestdjinutah.com. Recording in progress. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that there is that free group where you can be uh, among other uh, big fans, super fans maybe, could we call them that? Uh, people that are sitting on the back row, you can find the Cultural Hall back row on Facebook. It's where we have great tangential conversations. Most of the time, they have nothing really to do with the episodes, but, you know, Blair will have mentioned that he lived in Sandy and that he went to a diner and then people will speculate on what diner that might have been that he went to or whatever that thing may be. Uh, we don't talk about the diner, Richie. No, no, you can't. That's the no. second rule of Diner Club. Yep. <laughs> the first one is don't forget your card. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the Cultural Hall back row, that's how you find it on Facebook. All right. So I am curious. Uh, you you uh, you have this um, this parting with the Maxwell Institute. And then was it at that time that you're like, and now I'm going to branch out and do this fireside or are you like what? Give me the genesis yeah, of it. Sure. Fireside had been percolating, I think, for a while, even before I left, because um, originally when I started at the Institute, I started the podcast and I was able to pick all the guests and I was able to my the director at the time, Jerry Bradford, uh, said, yeah, focus on religious texts. 
um, you know, go for whatever you, whatever you think would work here at BYU. And so I was able to invite some incredible guests. And because I was inviting them from a Brigham Young University seat, I was able to hook in with some of the best biblical scholars in the world um, and really enjoyed that. And then uh, Spencer Fluman came in as the director and narrowed the focus. He really wanted to uh, to keep guests down to whoever was kind of visiting the institute. So instead of just ranging uh, widely, he said, let's let's narrow it down and focus on particular people here. And so there was a lot of guests and people that I'd had in mind that I then had to let go of and say, okay, you know, we're not doing it that way. And so I had some people like that in the back of my mind and just thought, you know, it'd be fun to to do my own show or to to get a chance to do that and so by the time i was thinking about leaving byu i had all i i love podcasting too much to just walk away from it and so i, I knew i would be doing something with it and then uh the idea of the name of fireside yeah um i just really liked the the fact that it can connote a lot of different things so fireside obviously for latter-day saint listeners is kind of this a special night where you go and listen to somebody special uh, it's supposed to be a little bit different than a sacrament meeting a little bit different than other types of meetings and and so i really like that idea of of and and where that came from which is a, a gathering at a fireside a gathering near an actual campfire or near a fireplace or something where it's a cozy lovely intimate space where you can explore ideas and the other thing is i'm a big camper i love being outdoors and some of the best conversations that i've ever had in my life were around a campfire with a couple of friends and so i wanted it to have that that feeling both of a of a congregation coming together to listen to a special speaker but also a really intimate heartfelt conversation that you might have uh, around a campfire with some of your closest friends and and I love that feeling of intimacy and try to try to get that going with my guests so that they feel comfortable to talk about personal things scholars and and activists and artists and the type of people that I'm talking to some are more willing to explore those personal angles and some are less willing to do that but when when we get around the fireside it just seems like you can talk about anything so that's kind of where the name came from and um and, and i you know i there, i didn't think beforehand but there are several other fireside podcasts i guess mm -hmm. that's kind of an obvious as podcasting one i want to think about but um that's why i added the with blair hodges yeah the, the, the full name like okay fireside with blair hodges that's its own thing is is <laughs> is there another blair hodges out oh good we're safe all right yeah good. exactly so so here I'm going to put you on a uh, on the spot with a little bit of a tiptoe question. What do yeah. people get from uh, Fireside with Blair Hodges that they wouldn't get from the Cultural Hall? Well, the Cultural Hall, I think, is a little bit more. And, and by the way, and I say this as a good thing, it's a little bit more a little bit more unbuttoned. Um, it's it's a little bit more. Uh, your range is bigger than than mine is in terms of the guests that you bring on. Um, mine's really kind of narrowed down to these scholars, these activists, writers um, that really explore where the life of the mind and the heart combine. Hmm. So, you know, for example, your UFO guy, that was a really fun episode, but that, that guy's not going to be on Fireside. But I'm interested to listen to it. It just doesn't fit kind of the, the general spirit of what I'm trying to do over here, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the difference. But I, I see some similarities. I think you're, you're – uh, the the interviews that you're able to conduct are really can really dig into personal things, even with even with scholars who came to maybe talk about a book that they wrote. Um, you like to know who they are as people, as well as what the ideas they put in the book are. So there's definitely some uh, a lot of crossover there. 
Now, you mentioned this, and, and I hope that you're willing to open this up a little bit, because I, I, I've been thinking more and more about this in the last couple of weeks. Um, having worked at BYU and then not working at BYU, there's a certain thing, and I think we all kind of make the joke within the church that it's like, working for the church is a lot different than just believing in the church. Oh, yeah. Or... You know, you, you'll believe in the church until you work for the church, and then it starts to, you know, there's always that sort of joke that we kind of, you yeah. know, that we, we sort of laugh about. What, what was it that was both great for you about working for yeah. BYU, and then what were some of the things that, that made you go, well, this is harder yeah. for me? Yeah. Well, that actually connects to your previous question that I wanted to add to, which is another thing that sets Fireside apart is most of my guests aren't Latter-day Saints. Okay. Most of them are either from other religious traditions or, or not religious at all, or, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm expanding the definition of what religion is to basically think about how we tell stories about what our lives mean, and that's religion. So that, and at BYU, I was able to do some of that. I was able to connect with people outside of our tradition, people of goodwill who were curious about Mormonism that were also wanted to have dialogue with us. And so that was one of my favorite things about being at BYU is connecting with non-Latter-day Saint scholars and other people who were interested in our faith and who had things that we could also learn from and be interested in. And so that was really fun. And then just the Latter-day Saint community itself, there's amazing pockets of people at BYU who I'm still uh, close friends with who will, I hope, be friends for life that we're able to have amazing discussions with and learn amazing things with. And when you, it's, it's, it's sort of like that, you know, if you've been on a mission and been to the MTC, a lot of times that first district that you had, mm -hmm. you know, people get really sort of forged together. I mean, I still talk to some people from my MTC district and we spent three weeks together, you know, <laughs> but I, I still see some of them occasionally. And that's kind of what BYU is, is this crucible of care and connection. And so that's what I love the most. The difficult stuff is just working for the church. You get to see a little bit behind the curtain. You get to see how the sausage gets made. You get to see how some of the decisions are arrived at, and it's not always ideal. Um, you're dealing with actual humans, imperfect people that, that can be irritating or that can be mean or that can make decisions that are just when you have all the facts and data in front of you and you see the decisions that's ultimately arrived at, you you know pretty deep down that the wrong decision was reached. Um, it's also a, a problem when you disagree with the church on particular things. Um, I don't see eye to eye with the church on LGBT issues. I don't see eye to eye with the church on gender equality um, and, and issues like that. But, and, but working for the church, you recognize that your job isn't to correct the church or to challenge the church or to undermine its mission. Your job is to, um, to promote the good things that you know about in the church. And there was plenty of things that I believe and, and feel good about uh, and, and excited about that made that job work for me, where I said, you know, those things matter to me, but these other things matter to me too. And I wasn't really ever asked or expected to do something that just directly contradicted my own values. Even when the institution itself did things, I didn't have to put my hands into to those particular things. And so that was nice. But it but it's hard over the years to hold those different values and then to have outside uh, church members, um, internet trolls and others be dedicated to harassing you and writing constant reports to the university and reporting you as an apostate and 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 having the university 
actually like look at that stuff and not just throw it in the garbage, which they should, mm -hmm. but rather to like pull you into a meeting. Well, what about this? When it should have just been, we know Blair, this is, this is nonsense garbage. Um, and I just, I was just tired of that stuff. So the, the tattletale narc surveillance culture is alive and well. And uh, that was one of the main reasons why I decided it was time to go. So for those of you that were kind of catching that, it seemed like at first Blair was just walking out some four instances and then you recognize, oh no, this is what Blair had to deal with was people yeah. reporting you and, and yep. then having to go before almost like a tribunal and say, hey, what, yeah. what are we doing here, guys? Yep. Yeah, it happened. Uh, one example, I was, uh, I got an honor code infraction for swearing on Twitter. And uh, I said, uh, but I didn't swear on Twitter. And they said, uh, but we got this report. And I said, show me the report. And they said, no. Uh -huh. And I said, that's a problem because I did not do that. And they said, well, we need you to sign this paper that says you did and says you won't do it again. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was just one of the instances where I was like, this is wrong. And I, I, <laughs> I just don't want to live like this, man. Like it's, it's not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, the other thing that I think that is so curious about it and, and like in your, in that particular scenario, this doesn't apply, but I think that there is some, um, fantasization, weird word, maybe, I don't know. Uh, infanticizing. Infanticizing yes. that we do when we go to work with the church that we almost set ourselves up to be disenfranchised or to be hurt or to be, you know, whatever the thing may be, where we think, oh, these people will be perfect. And you sort of alluded to this, but, you know, like, oh, this will be a perfect operating machine. And, and, and we, we place these things to be on the church and no company, you know, no organization, oh, no, no yeah. anyone could ever fulfill it. But for some reason, we think because of the truthfulness of the church that surely yeah. this will be the exception only to, yeah. to find out that it won't be. Yeah, that's really those expectations are what lead to a lot of disillusionment. Like I have appreciation for people who have had to disconnect from the church for their own uh, spiritual or mental or emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. And I understand those decisions very intimately. And yeah, when you work for the church and you have these expectations of perfection, they're probably going to be dashed. And by the way, if they're not, then you're probably one of the people that's uh, dashing <laughs> other people's expectations mm. by being so overconfident in your perfection. So yeah, you just, if for people who work for the church or are thinking about it, my advice is always just go in with open eyes, expect, expect difficulties, lower expectations, uh, go in doing the work that you feel good about doing and uh, see how long, see how long you can last. We'll see. I had a very interesting conversation with someone the other day and uh, talking about how they they are struggling, kind of finding their way through it. They work at BYU um, and, and they're talking about the difficulty that they have, that their faith is connected to their family's mm. well-being. Yep. And, you know, that was a problem from the beginning, even even when I thought things were kind of Shangri-La. It's yeah. just when your bishop has a say in whether or not you're employed and you might get a bishop that just doesn't like you, that's a problem. When you you can't really go to a bishop like that and talk about any struggles that you're having because any disclosures you make can be amplified, twisted, or you know misapplied to to your job and your livelihood and your health insurance and your income and your housing and all of those things. So yeah, that I think that that kind of stressor over the years definitely conspired with the other difficulties that I faced. 
And, and to be clear, I think you would echo this too. I mean, this is not a bash session about you know sure. working for the church or or anything like that. I I just I find it fascinating that there are pockets and corners within the church where there are these types of things that don't get discussed out of maybe fear, uncomfortability. Um, we don't know how to talk about them. The, the reasons may vary, but that we just don't sort of discuss them. And so people that don't experience them don't actually recognize, you know, what that might be like. Think about that. If you're going to your car dealership job and whether or not you were a tithing payer, temple recommend holding person to work at your car dealership job, that's a different sort of thing. And if you are struggling, earnestly struggling, really trying to find your way, but you found yourself in, in that place of of questioning, of not knowing, the inability to be able to share how you feel with your ecclesiastical guidance for fear that it may cause in your workplace termination is a, a unique position, to put it nicely. Yeah. And I, you know, I understand the church wants to have an, imp- an an employment who is dedicated to the mission of the church and comfortable with what the church is doing, et cetera. It, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I think every business, you know, you, you can't work for Tesla and go mock Elon Musk all the time and, uh, you know, try to <laughs> cause problems for Tesla. That's not how employment generally works. And the church is the same way. And there are a lot of people that work for the church that don't encounter all of these same kind of pressures. I think being a progressive-minded person definitely amplifies them as, as I am. And and so there's a lot of people that work for the church that don't necessarily feel the same kind of cross-currents that we're talking about. But um, but I certainly did. And um, and and just as you said, it's difficult because you, you don't have a lot of recourse. You do have each other. There's plenty of people within uh, within the employment that you can, can talk with. And, and you find basically, you find uh, proxy bishops who you can talk with about things in your heart. And, uh, you know, obviously when it comes to bigger issues, you know, if you're really just plowing through the honor code and not respecting it and stuff, that's, then that's an integrity issue, obviously. But um, it's, it's the gray areas where, where the difficulty comes up. Yeah. So to be clear, let us reiterate, (laughs) (laughs) you know, for, for the necessity of maybe, you know, my job, et cetera, I, I just (laughs) think that it's, that it is important to talk about all things. And that's what I love about the cultural hall. We don't leave anything unspoken. Let's talk about it. You know, I'm I'm not, I don't have plans to leave the church. I'm not questioning massive doctrines or anything like that. But it is worth taking a pause and going, how do I feel about that? As you, Blair, yep. have taken a pause to say, how do I feel about that? What would that be like? What would it be like if I didn't do that? What would, you know... What what would life be like if, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's take another break. And when we come back in the third block, you know that there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll ask those of you. Plus, I got a few other hanging out there. We'll do that coming back in the third block. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. 
When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops with breaking news. Windows 11 is now here. It's fast and it's beautiful. So let's make sure your computer's ready to run it. Bring your PC into any PC Laptops right now at PCLaptops.com. PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, one of the things that I love, Blair, is that I never really know where episodes are going to go. Like, I've, I felt like I knew we'd talk a little bit about BYU, but I didn't know we would go uh, down all of that uh, rabbit hole. I would be curious. You leave, you leave early 2021, and now what are you doing? I know that you do Fireside with Blair Hodges, <laughs> but I don't know anything else that you're doing. Yeah, my full-time job is with Volunteers of America Utah. It's a nonprofit here in Salt Lake that works on homelessness, mental illness, and addiction. So leaving academic life was a difficult choice for me. I knew I at least wanted to stay in some sort of nonprofit space. And when that job opportunity arose, they were looking for a director of communications there. So it was a that was the other thing I should mention. It was a professional advancement. I was kind of at my professional ceiling at BYU mm-hmm. and uh, this was an opportunity to to take a director's chair and to work with a really great organization that's working on some meaningful stuff. So that's where I work now for my day job. And then Fireside is a side project along with I, I do another side project, Jazz Fans Against Racism, which is just a an awareness raising campaign for Utah jazz fans uh, in anti-racist issues. And so I've got a pretty full plate. But um, but yeah, that's what I'm doing. But, you know. For people that maybe don't know, uh, in Utah, the Utah Jazz, obviously the National Basketball Team, National Basketball Association team, I wanted to give it as formal and yeah. awkward of introduction as I possibly could, and I succeeded, uh, has dealt with its fans and, and some racism. I think that that, that is a fascinating project, because when you were like, jazz fan, or what, what is it, jazz Jazz fans against racism. Jazz fans against racism. I was like, what? Like a Miles Davis? Like we? These are people that. Uh, and yeah. of course, it's not the music jazz. It's the sports jazz. What kind of what kind of outreach and and stuff do you do with that project? So I've made a video series that just talks about some of the common things. My I have this idea about social scripts that a lot of racism and a lot of other things just exist in these social scripts that get passed around in conversations that we have, and so. When you hear like, well, why isn't there a white history month and, you know, uh, stuff like that. And so I thought, well, let's intervene into those scripts. And there's a lot of people in Utah that don't want to be racist and they're they're working on that. But we need to give them ideas and and put it in their heads so that they have things to say when those type of conversations happen. And then just to shift to focus for jazz fans to the structural problems of racism. The racism isn't just individual people being mean. It's also systems that uh, happen to oppress people of color way more often than white people. And so that's that's the idea. So videos, a lot of social media stuff. We do fundraising for Utah's Utah Black History Museum uh, by selling merchandise and stickers and pins and stuff. And all the proceeds raised go to the Utah Black History Museum. So some fundraising, some public education, and some social media activism. That's basically what it is. When you look back at the younger Blair Hodges, do you sort of wince and cringe at some of the things that you said oh, yeah. according to those social scripts? Yeah, I mean, I look at back at last year and see some of the things. I think this is an ongoing kind of process, and, and I, I definitely don't feel like I've arrived anywhere. So, yeah, I, we've all got stuff um, that we need to excavate from from the past and, and not just cover it up, but really kind of reckon with it, see where it came from, see kind of the kind of harms that it does, and see how we can do better. I know for people, certainly in the state of Utah, I think that some of it 
and I'm not dismissing that that there are other parts of it, um, but but I think maybe this extends out even into the church is just our our availability, our opportunity to um, inter in, not intermix. That's not the word I want to say, but like to be able to um, mingle to mingle. Yeah, I was gonna say that, and then I was like, is that maybe a little That's too a churchy? Word, with what yeah. I'm going? yeah. <laughs> but but like a, a for instance. Like I, as I look back at the things that I said growing up, I just am like, I can't believe I ever thought that that was yeah. okay. Now I know better, so I do better. But I learned volumes of lessons having the opportunity to serve my mission in Cleveland just because yep. I was around more black people and yep. was able to, you know, bless the hearts of those people that when I asked those really just stupid and you know, racist or insensitive or, you know, but I was genuinely inquisitive. Hey, what about this kind of yep. questions? Bless those people for not, you know, <laughs> kicking me out the door and all that stuff. Right. And it's better for me as a white person to do that, I think, than to put that kind of labor on black people. So I do the, the mode of jazz fans against racism is definitely not combative. It's really mm -hmm. trying to engage people in that way to see like, OK, hey, why is there a white history month? OK, well, let's talk about that in a way that doesn't make you feel stupid right off the bat, even though perhaps in 2022 you should feel a little bit stupid. But <laughs> we, well, I'm not going to treat you like that. So let's do it this way. So, yeah, that's that's the general attitude. And, and I think that's so much about so many aspects of people asking questions. It feels like we're in a heightened age when um, if someone asks a question, there is a certain contingent of people that go, how dare you? Yeah. A question. And you're like, no, no, I no, I really just I didn't know. I just yeah. really wanted to know what what that is why yeah, I, I get why the reaction though. i mean we are in a time when trolls can 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 take advantage of mm -hmm. uh the innocent questions that actually aren't innocent questions so um i mean one of the things i'm trying to do on fireside is to be able to ask a lot of questions but you know i'm curating all of that i don't bring on anti-vaxxers and kind of let them go on and on about their theories that I think are garbage just for the sake of feeling like I'm being open-minded. I don't mm -hmm. bring on an anti-Semitic person who believes that the Holocaust was fake. And, and even though as on my academic side is interested in unpacking why someone could arrive at those terrible conclusions, but I'm not going to give airspace to that. I'd rather bring on Nora Krug, who's a woman who grew up, she's a German, and she kind of, it was really hard for her to develop a German identity because her whole life she knew, like, my people did something bad, there's something bad happening. And and then as she got in, into junior high, she's introduced to Holocaust things, seeing photographs and visiting places where people were killed and, and trying to reckon with what does it mean to be a German? And then having a, the horrifying realization that her own family might have been involved and, and asking her mother, was, was grandpa a Nazi? Was he part of that? And her mother says, well, um, no, I don't think so. He, he always said Hitler was too loud. And that answer was incredibly unsettling because what you want to hear when you ask that question is absolutely not. You know, mm -hmm. grandpa was one of the people that was helping Jews escape and, and resisting Hitler's regime. And so Nora, this is from episode one, goes on this family history quest to find out what her family 
was doing during the war and and she makes this incredible book it's a it's an illustrated she's an artist and so it's it's a graphic novel type memoir where she takes you to the archive with her and opens up her grandpa's folder to 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 look through the questionnaire that he had to submit after the war was over to confess whether or not he was involved in the nazi party and this I would much rather talk to Nora Krug than bring on a Holocaust denier for however however fun and sort of interesting that might be to hear someone spin their theories. I'm not going to shine the spotlight on that. I'm going to spend that time with someone like Nora whose story I can really take to heart and say, wow, what's in my past that I should be reckoning with in, in a similar way? So that's kind of the fireside mode is there's a curiosity there, but it's not equal opportunity curiosity. It's just not. And people, uh, if they listen, they know that you're doing Fireside with Blair Hodges in yes. uh, in seasons. That's right. So are, That's right. Is, is, there a, is there a mode or a theme to each season or is it just you need some time off to make sure you got some in the queue or give me an idea That's why right. you decided to do that? That's right. I, I wanted to cap it at 10 to see if this project, first of all, would take off and work. I didn't want to commit myself to indefinite schedule. And so I capped it at 10 episodes and then I went to build guests and I sent out, you know, I probably sent out 18 or so invites and got 10 people, 10 guests accepting it. And then I looked at that and said, okay, what kind of themes connect these? And what I found uh, was what I'm, that we're exploring religious language and kind of broadening it. So like we're looking at what repentance means in an interview with Kiese Lehman, who's, oh man, I just this nationally recognized <laughs> like rock star black author uh, agreed to be on the show and, and his episode's really about repentance. We don't use that word, but he's talking about uh, a novel that he wrote uh, where <laughs> a young black kid travels through time. And when you're a young black kid in the South traveling through time, it's a little bit scarier than if you're Marty McFly <laughs> going back to the 50s, right? The, mm -hmm. the black kid going back to the 50s is going to have a different experience. But he learns about repentance and forgiveness in that process. And so that episode, it's religious in the sense that we're kind of exploring the idea of repentance and forgiveness, but we're not necessarily doing it without language. And so Fireside's – so I found, oh, season one – is exploring these religious ideas uh, in, in new ways, in giving it new language, in ways that can connect not just with Latter-day Saints, but I think with people from many different traditions. It's, it's a fundamentally Mormon show. It's definitely informed by my Mormonness. But I think people beyond our tradition wouldn't necessarily pick up on that and wouldn't have to pick up on it. it, it it's kind of bigger than that. As you look to a season two, the first question is, is, is there? And second is, what is that going to consist of? Yeah, I haven't officially announced it, but I have given hints and suggestions, and I have started recording for season two. Um, and I don't know exactly what the it it could just be a continuation of the same things that I'm doing in season one. I I think that that works really well. Um, it wasn't until I'd conducted multiple interviews that I started seeing connections and through lines in in season one. And I think the same thing will happen in season two. But what I can promise is that. Even episodes that people see, this is one of my favorite compliments I've gotten from a lot of people. They say, I saw this episode come in my feed and I read the description of it and I thought, hmm, I'm not really interested in that topic, um, but I didn't have anything else to listen to right then. So I turned it on and I couldn't stop listening to it. And I went and bought that book. And thank you, because I, I never imagined that that kind of that that would be interesting to me. I love that. That's what I'm really trying to do with Fireside is draw people into places that they that they didn't know would resonate with them so much. There's so many things that we can connect on that, that we're just kind of flying 
flying by the seat of our pants. And, uh, you know, it's, I think Fireside's really trying to say, slow down, spend an hour with this idea and, and see what it can do for you. Yeah, those positive moments are, are pretty rad when you get something reflected back to you that maybe you hadn't uh, noticed yourself within an episode or that someone says, oh, this really changed my life or this helped me do a difficult time or see something a different way. Definitely a positive thing. Uh, I want to insist in the future, Blair, that when you interview with folks that you not only say Fireside, that you always say the full title, which is Fireside with Blair Hodges, no matter yeah. what, no matter how many references within the conversation. <laughs> the reason why I started Fireside with Blair Hodges is, and yes. then just go on, uh, talk talk to me a little bit. This is just us commiserating. What What are the hardest things about being a podcaster that people don't know if they haven't done it? Because I've tried, yeah. to, I've tried to beat people over the head with the hard parts of what what I do, and I just don't know that they get it. Maybe they'll listen if you say it. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of grind behind the scenes. It's This stuff doesn't produce itself. And so not only do you have to have certain abilities to conduct good interviews, do the, the stuff that people hear, but also picking those guests, um, navigating an interview with a guest that's maybe not working out the way you thought it was. I, you know, there's always that sense of panic of, oh, you know, <laughs> I got to turn this into something that people are actually going to listen to. Uh, then also just all the editing and all the arranging you have to do, the behind the scenes scheduling and when people have to back out and reschedule and you're trying to work your schedule around all of these different factors that are happening in your life. And uh, it's a lot of work. It's it's a heck of a lot of work to do. So uh, I think that anybody who undertakes podcasting learns really quickly that there's a reason why so many shows burn out after the first few episodes because it's a labor of love and the return that you're getting on it. We're not getting rich off this stuff. Um, uh, I think you probably generate a little bit of income through Patreon and other things, but in terms of the time you're putting into it, uh, it's probably a pretty low paying job. And, and for me, I fort I'm fortunate to have sponsors with the uh, Claremont Graduate University's Howard W. Hunter Chair of Mormon Studies there. They gave me a stipend and and I, I work with them and, and get a little bit of money there. And also the Dialogue Foundation helps pay for the hosting and stuff. But other than that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not making money on Fireside. It's, it is truly a labor of love. And that's what podcasting is. Very few shows will become their own, gen, you know, this isn't your full-time job, Richie. Right. And, uh, but you, you love it and it, and there's value to the community that you've built up through it. And that makes it, that makes it worth it. You can get a, a little bit of income in addition, but uh, it's, it's about more than that. And, and it's a lot of work. It truly is. And sometimes those little things go a long way, like just saying, hey, Blair, great episode yeah. when you sat down uh, with whomever. When you sat down with Richie, I listened to that. Great job, Blair. Now I'm going to check out Fireside with Blair Hodges. That doesn't sound like it's very much, and you could really literally type that out in 25 seconds. Oh, yeah. Makes... No, reviews are huge, yeah. dude. Like when people leave a review when or when they send you an email or – I don't think enough listeners understand. Like <laughs> you have direct access to us. We're not hiding. We're not these mega celebrities that right. are living in some – cloud up above you like we're down here with you and and you should reach out and tell people that you appreciate the work that they're doing that it feels so good that i think that's some of the best payment that uh, that we can receive or those type of specific reviews episode da 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 loved it blew my mind changed how i thought about such and such mm -hmm. nothing's better than that and, and i bet you would even be one that would engage in if someone said hey blair i want to ask you about something someone said yeah. this has struck me 
wrong or different or I'm not Bring sure that I agree with it. Like in a non-contentious way, Bring if someone's really it. trying, you would engage with that all day. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, I don't agree with everything every guest says. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, that's that's not the job as a host. It's to, to help people have a place to to speak their mind. And yeah, send us, send questions. I, podcasters aren't kidding when they say in every episode, like send your questions and comments to us and don't forget to rate and review. That's the, that's not just stuff that the podcast overlords require us <laughs> to say. Like we're saying that because we want listener engagement. Yeah. Sometimes just feels like you're speaking into the abyss when you haven't yeah, heard from anyone. True. Does this matter? Does anyone it's care? True. Maybe I'll just go ahead and unplug this mic and hang up the old headphones. That's right. Uh, uh, Blair, there is three questions that we ask everyone who steps yeah. into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now, sir? And if so, what is it? I do. My calling is a Sunday school teacher. I'm in the Sunday school presidency. And so that means as a presidency member, I also get to kind of put my thumb on the scale of which lessons I get to teach. So it's kind of a little bit of it's a cheat code if you like to teach <laughs> in the church to also be part of the Sunday school presidency, because chances are you'll be able to kind of pick those lessons you love. I love that calling. I love teaching. And uh, sometimes I get to teach on Zoom. That It's a lot harder, but I do get to invite a few more friends when I do it that way. So I love I love teaching. I don't want to have any other calling, honestly. And I think you're of an age that when you say cheat code, you think up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, <laughs> BA, select, start, right? Yes, are we of right. the same age? Look we it are. Up. Look it up, kids. Uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I, I do the exact same thing I'm doing right now. I absolutely love Or although I would say it might be helpful to have like um, regional Sunday school in, uh, teachers, like instruction for Sunday school teachers so that we could get a little bit better. I think sometimes we just kind of float along. I, I, I haven't had a lot of Sunday school teachers that are, that have the background, um, in how to teach. Mm -hmm. So we just give a lesson manual and then say, here you go. When there are a lot of things that teachers could learn about what teaching is. And I've been blessed to, you know, I have a master's degree from, from Georgetown. I, I'm familiar with the academy. I've worked there. So I've been around a lot of teachers. I've learned a lot of teaching skills. I think we could do better at that than we do. So maybe, maybe a cool calling would be um, teaching other teachers. Yeah. Teaching other teachers to teach. Teach about teaching for the teachers. Fireside with Blair Hodges. The last question that we ask everyone uh, and ask you to interpret it however you may, the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith is its expansiveness. And I don't think that, that, uh, that our tradition always emphasizes this as strongly as it could. But Joseph Smith specifically said that we are to go out in the world and collect and bring in all the good that we can find. And if we don't, he said, we won't come out true Mormons. And I think all too often in the past for me, that quest has looked like me going out and trying to find pieces of Mormonism wherever I could Hmm. and feeling cool or awesome or supported or feeling right when I found pieces of Mormonism. Oh, I read C.S. Lewis and he was talking about something that seemed like the pre-mortal life. Isn't that amazing? Or, you know, oh, in Islam, they they have this, this particular doctrine that matches up well with ours. So my quest used to be seeking out the good Mormonism anywhere I could find. But that's not what Joseph Smith asked us to do. He said, go find all the good. And there's so much beyond our tradition that we could learn from and that we could benefit from that would tie us in with broader parts of of God's family. And that, to me, 
is the fire of my faith. It is, it is what fuels me. It is what sustains me. This idea that the restoration is supposed to collect and gather and connect and learn and grow, not just go out and say what we believe and what we know, but to listen to what other people believe, what other people know, and to bring that home and make it part of what we do without just simply baptizing it and stripping it out, out away from its context, but in a way that connects us with those other traditions, those other faiths, those other peoples, and, and not, not that doesn't just colonize it, but that, that loves it and appreciates it for what it is. So that's the core of my Latter-day Saint faith is that quest, that seeking, that always, my faith always ends in an ellipses. There's always a dot, dot, dot after any testimony I bear. Um, and, and too often for, and that hasn't always been the case. It used to be an exclamation mark. I don't have that exclamation mark anymore. It's been replaced by those, uh, by those ellipses, the, the dot, dot, dot. We'll leave a link to a Fireside with Blair Hodges in the show notes, as well as some of the other things we talked about that uh, link to uh, Stephen Peck's interview way long ago, the first introduction that I had with Blair. Uh, and uh, also you can find out more about Blair by his bio that's available at theculturalhall.com in association with this episode. Blair, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Debbie Wanless, Rick McGee, Brother Brent, Chocolate Cake Bites podcast, and Miracles, I told you so, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Culture Hall show.